Many of us, probably most of us, really grew up watching Disney movies and shows. It almost doesn't matter when you were born, unless you're like 150. <laughs> maybe then this wouldn't apply to you. Because Walt Disney's stuff has been around since 1937 with the debut of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Even earlier. Even earlier. So Paul and I will have another podcast at another time arguing about when <laughs> Walt Disney really started. Thank you, Paul. Well, over the last few years, we've begun to notice that Disney is following the prevailing trend of including LGBT representation, mostly in pretty subtle ways, in a growing number of their products. But now it looks like the floodgates have opened when it comes to Disney's full embrace of that worldview. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, if you've been engaged with pop culture news over the last few weeks, or on social media for that matter, you've probably heard the news that Disney is making a bigger push to embrace LGBT content. Today, we're going to talk about what exactly is happening in that area, as well as giving you some concrete ideas for how to wade into a conversation that admittedly is complex and uncomfortable, and that's talking about sexuality with our kids. And it's a conversation we really think that you need to be having because the culture's having it, whether you want it to or not. And in our second segment, Plugged In Editor Paul Acey is going to tell us about the movie Father Stew, starring Mark Wahlberg, who I think he's my favorite 50-something actor because he gives me hope. <laughs> but that's my own deal. We're not really talking about that in our segment. So we'll circle back to that in a little bit. And before we really jump in here, I'd also encourage you to follow The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcast. Leave a comment, leave a review. Leave a like, give us some feedback on what you think about the conversations we're having. Well, we don't have to spend too much time scanning the headlines of the news today to know that we're in the midst of a deep cultural shift and one that comes with a lot of conflict regarding sexuality uh, and how it's depicted in entertainment and also in sports, in education. I mean, it seems like there's not a realm in which sexuality is not a part of the conversation these days. And we're going to be talking about Disney's evolving stance in that conversation. And I'm joined today by Bob Hoos, Kristen Smith, and Paul Acey. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hello. Um, this is an important conversation and one that I think um, in some ways is kind of a heavy conversation. There's some, there's some disappointment and some frustration involved. And before we go there, I thought it would be fun to lighten things just a little <laughs> bit and ask this question. What is a favorite memory of a Disney product from your childhood when you were growing up? I'll go first. Okay, it's a movie. Pocahontas was my favorite. Yeah. I wanted to be Pocahontas. We we grew up on a ton of land. We had a pond. I'd like run through fields and sing all the songs. I can just see little Kristen (laughs) bounding over like, you know, hedgehogs and stuff who are also probably singing. Yes. I thought it was just the absolute best. Obviously, I know that there are lots of cultural like it's not it's it didn't really happen that way but i don't care <laughs> the movie was great and now and I for the it. disclaimer yeah. to not get in trouble <laughs> yeah. okay pocahontas bob what about you well i you know I, I remember as a kid watching the black and white movies on tv 
And one yeah. of my favorites was the absent-minded professor. Uh, there was always something about that, you know, this guy who created Flubber and got a car to fly. And was I that, know was that Dick Van Dyke? Who was that? No, no, that was uh, Fred, Fred McMurray. McMurray. Fred McMurray. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, these days special effects—that's old hat, no, right. no big deal. But back then, you know, when you were a kid and and they didn't have all these flying cars, yeah. uh, it was fun. All right, That's fun, Paul. So I'm going to go way back and say Snow White. And I wasn't do you alive. Do this on purpose? I, I wasn't alive when Snow White was first made, but they kept throwing it out to theaters Your for a long time. Your parents might not have been alive. No, no, they were not. As a matter of fact, <laughs> but uh, but when I first went into theaters, it was one of the very very first movies that I saw. I was probably like five years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. Man, when the Queen turned into the Wicked Witch. So creepy. Oh, Yikes. so still creepy. Still scary. So scary. And it is still scary. Yeah, that mesmerized me like nothing else, and it probably explains why I'm I'm so messed up today. Sounds wow. all right. There's a lot yeah. to unpack there, but yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure we have that kind of time. And <laughs> There's a counseling department Exactly. Here. I mean, maybe you need some professional help on that. Well, I'm going to go in a totally obscure and really weird direction. One of my favorite Disney memories from the 70s when I was but a, a little a tyke, a wee lad, if you will, <laughs> um, is the cat from outer space. Mm. I don't even know what that is. Oh, I'm it's so, a so movie. great. Okay, you know what it's about? Okay. It's about a cat. In outer space. From, from outer, outer space. space. Yeah. I mean, it, really, the title tells you almost everything. Okay. It's this cat that comes in on a UFO, and the cat has this really cool jeweled collar. But, okay, this is way, 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 way <laughs> down. I guess I was going to say the rabbit hole, but maybe the cat hole my family liked cats and we still do and this cat was an abyssinian which was a cat that was bred and born in egypt they're beautiful cats <laughs> but no i know right oh but no no but this gets speaks to the power of story like since the time i was seven years old i have wanted an abyssinian cat because of that now, movie don't we wish disney was just teaching us about abyssinian cats I know. no i know uh, right <laughs> Well, that seems like an appropriate segue into a a much more serious conversation. Um, you know, Disney has begun to have some statements, and I'll say more about this in a minute, with regard to its stance on integrating LGBT content. Now, I want to talk for a minute about the political context here, not because I want to talk about politics, because that's not our bailiwick at Plugged In, but I think it's important to know... Yep the context in which Disney is responding. Mm-hmm. Um, in late March, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a law in Florida that seeks to protect kids from kindergarten to third grade mm-hmm. from being exposed to teaching about sexuality and LGBT issues in the classroom. I think a lot of parents would say that seems like a common sense sort of Approach to well, things. and it was in response to the fact that a number of laws have been passed across the country that have mandated that school systems start teaching kids about gender and sexuality, even as young as kindergarten. Okay, yeah, yeah and that's exactly right, and that's an even bigger national context. So clearly, there is a conversation happening, and that you know puts it in gentle terms in our culture. And this bill has been labeled by opponents the Don't Say Gay bill, but the actual title of it, which I actually hadn't heard in the news anywhere, is the Parental Rights and Education Bill because it's yep. seeking to protect families' rights in these sensitive conversations. So um, that's the context here. And in the middle of that, 
Disney in some internal conversations mm -hmm. began to respond and say, what are we going to do about this law? Because obviously Disney World is in Florida. So yeah. that's, you know, a very specific context for them as well. And there were some Zoom videos to employees that got leaked. And so I want to just read a couple of the statements that various Disney executives have made and start by just responding to, here's the things sure. they're saying, and this is in response to what's been going on in Florida. So Carrie Burke, the president of Disney's general entertainment content, told her employees, quote, I'm here as a mother of two queer children, actually, one transgender child and one pansexual child, and also as a leader. We have many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories, and yet we don't have enough leads and narratives in which gay characters just get to be characters. And she went on to express her and the company's commitment to having 50% of Disney characters being LGBT or racial minorities in future projects. And meanwhile, Disney's diversity and inclusion executive, Vivian Ware, announced that the company's theme parks would begin to exchange the phrases ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls with dreamers of all ages. Um, and others have also made comments just about their intent to try to inject LGBT content into stories whenever they possibly can. One person, LaToya Ravino, said that it's a not-at-all-secret gay agenda to add queerness to kids' shows. So what's your immediate response to those quotes? I think mine is that we shouldn't be surprised, right? Like, we okay. live... We just... We live in a world that doesn't know God, right? So if you don't know the Lord and that's not what you live by, this... It makes sense, right? But I think as I... As I listen to these quotes and I see kind of where Disney's wanting to take things, it feels like an over-sexualization that's unnecessary for kids. Okay. I didn't know the sexual orientation of my teachers when I was that little. You of didn't course, even know they can, had a sexual orientation. Right. Like, I didn't have those. Of course, I could tell if they were, like, male or female. Right. Um, but I didn't have those conversations with teachers at that age because that was reserved for my parents. And I still very strongly now as a parent of little kids believe that that's a conversation that's not for teachers to have. You teach the yeah. subject that you teach and you leave that for the parents to have those conversations. Yep. Just because you feel strongly about it doesn't mean you get to share that. And I would also say, I mean, I agree with what you said. The one thing I didn't agree with what you said was you early on you said it makes kind of sense. But, you know, in fact, it doesn't. I, when I think back at uh, uh, Carrie Burke's statement, I, it, it seems absolutely ludicrous to me. I mean, it, it doesn't make we, we live in an age that is not filled with common sense. OK. And just because her kids dealt with certain sexual issues doesn't mean that you got to then go out and make films so that every kid in America can deal with it, too. I agree with you 100 percent. Kids don't need to deal with those issues. The only thing I meant by that, just to clarify, is that if you look biblically at like Sodom and Gomorrah and all through scripture, it's not like homosexuality is a new thing, right? Okay. This isn't something it's that's new. not a new. surprise. No, this is the result of sin and a sin that's not turned toward the Lord, right? There's no repentance in this. And so all I mean is culturally, if you're okay. looking at people and saying, okay, of course, natural inclinations would lead you to this if you don't have Jesus. And I wasn't dissing you. No, I mean, no, no, I no. Because <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, of course I disagree with it in film, but that's not, my point is that 
if this is if you don't have the Lord, of course, naturally, where where, where are things going culturally? This right. makes sense. Yeah. And I would even go a step farther than that, honestly, because I think that, that when you look at the history of the Christian church, it has always been historically a countercultural movement. We push against what the culture gives us because we know we live in a fallen world. This world is fallen. We know that it goes its own way. Um, I don't think that we should ever expect the culture to do what we as Christians want it to do because that's not the way it works right now. Um, I think that, that we have to be mindful that we will always be out of step with what the culture is trying to give us. And I would say, too, like I've seen a move like in Christianity where we step away from platforms, we step away from politics, we step away from entertainment, and then we criticize when there's no godly influence. Mm. Right. Yeah. We so want like, to have it both ways. Exactly. You can we have it disengage, both ways. So you've taken yourself way. out, but you want them to produce content that fits in your moral standard. Then you need to step into that arena. I think as Christians, we're called to do that. If you want to see change in that area, you need to be a voice that advocates for that change. I also believe that part of our reaction is going to be based on the fact that as Christians, we don't necessarily want to go toe to toe and have conflict. You know, I, we sort of back away thinking, well, we c- can we get along? Can we all sort of find our place and get along together? And, but the people on the other side, the people that are pushing the cultural image, I don't think they're, they're not thinking about getting along at all. They want to drive their agenda home. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we do this in a lot of ways, wanting to push our own agendas. I would say, like, if you guys have ever listened to Jackie Hill Perry, she's been on Focus's podcast. She has a lot of extremely respectful, honest conversations with um, lesbian and homosexual like couples and people. And so I think it's it's important to know that, yes, there is an agenda being pushed, but it's not like it's the only agenda being pushed. Yeah, I mean, I think that even just stepping into this conversation it's one that it feels like a high stakes conversation, right? And we have entertainment now sort of, you know, people creating it actively saying we want a very intentional role in shaping how you think about this issue. So my next question is, what are some recent examples from Disney where we've seen this? Like in the past, you know, we could go back to 2017 with Beauty and the Beast. Obviously, we had yeah. LeFou's kind of crush on Gaston at the end, and that was subtle. And we've had a number of things since then where maybe there's a line here or a background image there. But what are some recent things that we've seen that maybe are indicative of Disney's trajectory here? Well, I know like in like Disney movies, like so High School Musical, the musical, the series, <laughs> that's a mouthful, but <laughs> there are characters that are gay on there. Okay. And so I think that for me, like I grew up watching a lot of Disney movies, like the Lizzie McGuire movie, um, even Stevens, things like that, um, where that wasn't ever a factor, but now it is. Okay. And what have we seen? Anything else from Disney recently that's popped up? You know, you could almost go down the list, okay. really. Um, probably the, the thing that pops out to me most recently would be Better Nate Than Ever. Okay, and, and tell us just a tiny bit about that. So Better Nate Than Ever is essentially a, a musical. It's a very sweet musical in a certain way, but the main character, uh, he is same-sex attracted, or at least certainly not attracted. He loves musicals. He wants to be this musical star. And honestly, when... If you read my review, I think that his sexuality is probably one of the one of the movie's lesser problems, but it's right. still there. He definitely um, fits into almost a, a stereotype. Yeah. 
and and it's definitely very very much out there and i think that it really expresses um where he is leaning and gives a voice to that character. We've seen some responses from from the LBGT community uh, saying that this character is a hero to them. Yeah. Uh, and given what we know about the character, it makes sense. Yeah. And another one is uh, the show The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, sure. which just the title sort of is a giveaway that they're going to be dealing with this. And so I think we're in the midst of this transition between – Disney kind of tiptoeing into representation um, and moving toward a much more full-fledged sort of depiction of characters that, you know, are coming from that perspective. Yeah, and when you look at this from Disney's perspective, you know, first and foremost, they are a business. Yeah. And I think that they understand that a good portion of their audience comes from the LGBT community. Well, I mean, stocks have plummeted since all this has happened. I think that that's a very valid point. Yeah. You know, I think that, that when we look at Disney, what they are trying to do, whether it's successful or not, is they are trying to reach part of their their audience. And they feel now, correctly or incorrectly, that now is a particular time when they are allowed to sort of open these doors to some of these stories because it's not quite as damaging as it was in the past. But I do think that when you look at the stocks plummeting, I think you can see whether Disney's business model is accurate or not as time goes on. No, we're going to find out. I saw another poll that said 68% of people polled said they would be watching less Disney because of what has happened. Yeah, so, which might um, shift their trends, And obviously too. this was an internal memo. It was not actually intended for public consumption, you know, when these videos came out. And I'm sure that there are probably some executives saying, oh, we might have not wanted this information to get out. Um, but anyway, I digress. So I want to come back to... Um, sort of the concrete boots on the ground reality. You know, Disney's doing this, but for those of us who are raising kids today, how are we supposed to respond to this? What are some some things to think about in terms of navigating not only where Disney's at, but, but where the culture's at? Well, because I, it, in some ways, I think Disney is representative of sure. where the entire pop sure, culture is going. Exactly, and that, and I think that's the first step. I think it's important for us as parents and as consumers to recognize why all this is happening. And it's not just uh, like you were saying, Kristen, it's not just one small element. It is the culture at large. And it's been going on for a long time. I mean, ever since the 60s, there has been certain groups of people that have tried to push the culture further and further away from a moral foundation, from a, a biblical foundation, into something a little bit more squishy and no rights, no wrongs. You know, my way is as good as any way, that sort of thing. And I think what's happened is that they've actually succeeded. Hmm. And, and They're not the counterculture anymore. They're the mainstream exactly. culture. The culture has shifted, and, and those ideas are very dominant in... In just about every area, we see it. It's dominant in media. It's dominant in the news. It's dominant in the schoolhouse. But the one place, the one place that it's not fully dominant right now is the home front. Yeah, and I think that's what they're trying to erode, and that's what DeSantis is trying to protect for parents, is still saying, like, there is a line here, right? There is a parent's choice and responsibility to raise their kids and teach them these things, and it's not for culture to dictate. But I will say, right, like, 
this didn't just happen. Like we have to look culturally over the years. I think there are a lot of Christians that would be okay watching Game of Thrones, but not okay watching a new Disney movie. I'm I'm serious. No, I agree. So it's okay to have super graphic content and incest and violence and rape, but it's not (laughs) cool to watch Buzz Lightyear have a scene where there's like a same-sex kiss, right? So like there have to be some things that we talk about. And I think culturally for Christians, especially evangelical Christians, we think that the cure, if you will, to use that word for homosexuality is get married, get a boyfriend, like, it's as if that's the cure. No, no, no. The the opposite of that is Jesus. Hmm. And I think we don't come to that. We say, like, well, marriage will cure it or finding a spouse of a different sex will cure it. But that's really not the answer. And so we look to that as the church. I mean, the church has preached that. And so I think if you if you look culturally at people that don't understand, like, where a same-sex attraction is coming from and they have questions, then you're going to want to point them to the gospel because the Bible doesn't say that marriage is the cure. It's not. <laughs> There is so much to unpack with everything that has been said so far. I think I think that when you're talking about the culture, moving away from the biblical foundations, moving away from what's right and wrong, I think we have to remember that if we are letting the culture tell us what is right and yes. wrong anyway, we yeah. are right. looking in the wrong True. place. Right. I think that when you talk about morality, it has always been in the confines of the family, right? right. As moms and dads, we are responsible to give right. our children the lessons that they need to go forward to love Jesus, all of that kind of stuff. I think that that's super important. And sometimes in this culture, because it has has been so easy for Christians to get along with this culture for so long. We've forgotten sometimes yeah, that responsibility. And to get back to what you were saying, Kristen, I think that sometimes there's a lot of hypocrisy within us. You know, we draw these arbitrary lines as to what we find acceptable in entertainment. Sure. Um, that I don't think that God would be that pleased with well, mm. a lot of our media choices either. Wow, that's a great point. And I, I want to say that... As somebody raising an 11, a 13, and a 15-year-old, we're having these conversations. And um, I may have shared this story in the podcast before, but uh, a while back we were watching Ellen's Game of Games, and they introduced um, an engaged lesbian couple. And my youngest daughter asked a question about that. And so we took that moment and we paused the show, and we actually had a long conversation about sexuality. And... I don't want to lift myself up as the example that we always get it right parenting wise, because believe me, we don't. But I think that what this thing that is happening culturally is doing for us as Christian parents is it's forcing us to engage with this issue maybe earlier than we want to. But we have to be having, I think, a robust and a pretty sophisticated theological conversation with our kids about the purpose and place of sexuality and how God has designed it. Because the culture has a radically different understanding of the meaning and purpose of sex. And if we're not having that conversation, Mm -hmm. our kids are going to be assimilated into it. And even if we are having it, it's a feel-good message. They don't want to make anybody feel bad about anybody's sexual choices. And so feelings and emotions are so dominant in this. And We have to be training our kids to think critically and biblically. And that is, it's not one conversation. It is an ongoing conversation that I want to give that sort of concrete. Well, and we have to be invested enough to 
figure out the best ways to protect our kids, too. Yes. Yeah. And the, guys, this isn't just the culture. This is the church, too. Right. There are tons of churches, tons of churches that this is accepted now. Right. We want to create a safe space for everybody. And we pretend that love means inclusivity across the board. That's not how Jesus loved people. Right. And you can't love someone into hell. That's not loving. Like, I Sorry, I just I just really like it's not love if you're agreeing with everybody. Like, it's not love if I say yes to everything my child wants. I have a responsibility as a parent to train them and to raise them. And I think as, again, a parent of young kids, I'm looking at where my kids are going to go to school now. And I'm going to go ask principals and teachers what their curriculum is. And I think but I think and that's good, another really great concrete step for us to take as parents. Sure. Yes. But I think that this has kind of always been important. And, and for parents that like if your kids in a public school and this is what's being taught in public schools and it's not going anywhere, then you need to make the choice as a parent and decide, like, are they going to go to the public school? Can we afford a private school? Can they go to a charter? Or are we going to pull them out and homeschool them? Like all of this matters. But it is important for parents to know, to ask the questions and to be OK with the fact that they're protecting their kids. And I think it gets back to moving away from what we sometimes like to do as parents because it's easier sort of go along to get along. I think that parents are being faced with three basic decisions. Either have those really difficult conversations as you engage with some of these some of these movies some of these TV shows that include that content to really engage and talk with your kids about them. Number two you could disengage completely and just watch the things that you know are safe. Or three, you can push for change. You know, I think that you can advocate, you can vote with your pocketbook, you can cancel yeah. some of these memberships that you might not necessarily uh, be in favor of. Uh, There's a lot more power there than we think. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't necessarily think that boycotts are particularly effective, but I do think that when you vote for what you like to see yep. with with what you don't see with your pocketbook, I think that that can make a huge difference in the culture at large. And let's face it, if we could be self-serving, that's where Plugged In comes in. Because we are we are designed as a tool to help parents see the kind of content they're going to find. Yep. Not necessarily that we say this is good content and, and that means go see this movie, but we show them the content and then they can decide, they can discern what works best for their family. And that's our job. Yep. So rely on us. And I think that's a great place to bring our conversation to a close. I'm, I have no doubt we could go for a long time Four on this hours. one. Yeah, um, I think, I, let me, I will say this conversation isn't going anywhere in our culture. So we'll probably revisit it yeah. in the future as there are new examples and new things to deal with. But Bob's exactly right. Plugged in is your go-to resource to help you know not only content, but worldview. You know, what are mm-hmm. the ideas that are being communicated that you need to be aware of and you as a family need to make a decision about and whether that's going to influence your kids or not. So thanks, everybody. For our second segment today, Paul AC is here to tell us about a new kind of under the radar movie called Father Stew. And it's uh, a movie that, uh, well, Paul, there's a lot to say about it. So (laughs) why don't you get started and tell us what it's about and maybe some of the pros and cons. So Father Stu, he is actually Stuart Long. It's based on a true story. And this guy was a boxer at one time. Um, he decides to give up boxing because, you know, he's getting older. Right, so I he, did the same thing. He goes to Hollywood to become a famous movie actor, right? What everybody goes to Hollywood for. But 
on route he, uh, he to becoming famous, he uh, meets this girl. This girl is very Catholic and draws him into the church. She's very Catholic. She's very, very Catholic, as he would say. Okay. So um, draws him into the church. And even though he wasn't looking for God at all, when in he fact, came he out doesn't there, have good things to say about God, right? He doesn't have good right? things to say in, earlier in the show. Yeah, he, earlier in the movie, he he actually punches a statue of Jesus. That That's how it much It makes his hand wants. bleed, right? Makes his hand bleed. So he goes out, he finds God, and after a terrible car accident, he decides, much to his girlfriend's chagrin, to become a priest. Wow. I mean, it, it works to a fault. It really did. It really did. So how much before and after? Like, how much is before he becomes a priest, and how much of the film is sort of after he has that conversion experience. You know, I would say that the crash actually happens about midway through okay. the movie. Uh, the main character, Father Stu, is played by Mark Wahlberg, and we see him being just kind of a happy-go-lucky jerk for a lot of the movie. You know, he, he engages within the church to make his girlfriend happy. He starts teaching Sunday school to be with her. He gets baptized because his family won't allow him into the house. The, her family won't allow him into the house unless he is. Uh, so he moves into the church for very, very selfish, shallow reasons. But it's kind of interesting. One of the things I loved about this movie is it shows that even if our motives aren't great, God can still use those. And he uses them um, to make the main character, Stu, a better person. Uh, so we see him moving into the priesthood. It's a difficult journey because something it, that's really there's another big reveal that happens as he sort of goes along with the priesthood. So if we stopped there. Yeah. That would seem like a glowing five star endorsement of this man's faith journey. But. There's a lot of content in how gritty this is. So right. tell us about that. Right. Obviously, with Mark Wahlberg being a part of it, he is a Catholic actor himself, and his faith is very important to and him. And he's getting more and more outspoken about that. And he's that. getting more and more outspoken about it. He has also made some very gritty, R-rated movies that Plugged In has not said very nice things about. Ted comes to mind. And, and you have sort of both sensibilities coming into this movie. It is wildly profane. You have, so quantify that for me. What does that mean? So we're talking probably about less than 50 F words, but not much less. You're talking mm. probably more than 50 S words. Uh, lots of other profanities. You have some some difficult engagement with family members as well. Uh, Mel Gibson stars as his dad, Stu's dad. Uh, they have a terrible, terrible, terrible relationship, and so we see a lot of family fractures uh, on display. Now, it's all done with this idea of this redemptive turnaround. So you see a lot of a lot of healing take place, but the profanity never really leaves the picture. Right. So you have a very, very, very Christian story uh, with a lot of profanity. So yeah, I mean we're well into R-rated territory. Very much at so. Fifty F words. Hard R. Hard R. So it's um, it's kind of a paradox, right? And Mark Wahlberg, correct me if I'm wrong. He found out about this story and he produced and bankrolled this movie himself, right? Because right. Yeah. the mainstream Hollywood establishment wouldn't touch it. So it's a 
it really is a passion project. It truly is um, a passion project. But some of the passion gets expressed in not very nice ways, it sounds like. Well, it, it really doesn't. And it becomes sort of a tricky movie for us to engage with as Christians. It also is a very difficult movie, honestly, to review, you know, because these are issues that are very important to us. Um, one of the, But I do think that when you're talking about the profanity within this story— Oddly enough, it has a purpose. Now, whether that purpose is good enough to see it, that's up to right. individual like viewers. Where it becomes gratuitous is a pretty right. subjective question. But the idea that, that Stu is this very, very imperfect, very messy Christian is part and parcel of this story. That's hmm. part of the message. Someone actually tells him that he shouldn't become a priest because no one wants to hear the gospel from someone like him. He retorts and says, maybe that's exactly what people need. To show that someone as messy, as fallen as he has been, can become saved and forgiven by Christ. So you have these really interesting elements that still don't mitigate the problems that we find within this film. Well, and I think that's a great summary of of what Father Stu is. I mean, right. it's a, a redemptive story that probably is still going to be grittier than a lot of people want to take in yeah. because of the level of realness with how fallen this guy is. Um, but but some people out there are going to probably say, you know what, we need some Christian movies that maybe don't pull those punches. So I'm guessing that your own individual convictions on this issue are going to inform whether this is a movie that sounds interesting to you or not as an adult. I mean, obviously, not, yeah. not a movie yeah. for kids. No, it's. It, I think that's exactly right. And you do find, I think, that some people may push against even the idea of Christianity because it feels too sanitary, too yeah, it's, unreal. This is not a sanitized this movie. This is not a sanitary movie. And I, I think that in some ways that may be an attraction. And, and it ironically might draw people closer to God. And yet for other audiences, not it so might much. push them farther away. All right. Well, thanks for telling us about Father Stu today, Paul. You betcha. Well, now it's time for a part of our show we call the Pop Culture Connection. We're joined by our producer, Ashley. Hello, Ashley. Hello, everyone. We are Hello. glad you are here to torment us today Indeed. with pop culture, <laughs> entertainment, and technology-related questions. And what Ashley's going to do is she's going to ask each one of us a question, and we'll have 30 seconds to give as many reasons as possible in our answer uh, as we respond to her question. And then some of us will walk away with a gold, a silver, a bronze, and one unlucky player won't get any medals at all. No, yeah. no. Well, I call this the lists game and the why my game. brain doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Me well, too. That's a good And actually, one. there aren't, just full disclosure, there aren't any medals. So I know. There's no cash prizes. <laughs> then why are we why? doing this? It's all right, just all right. for the honor. We digress. Ashley, all right. take it away. All right. Let's see. Paul, I think I'm going to have you go first today. Oh, yes. no. All right. And yes. then, that was so oh, satisfying no. there. Your Man. fantastic question of the day is... If you were on a desert island with a DVD player and a TV and electricity, what one movie would you pick to keep you company and why? Oh, it's got to be The Three Amigos because it Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short. It's very funny. You get a little bit of song. I can sing My Little Buttercup all the way through the song. It has that, that weird, <laughs> weird, <Look up> weird. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, I'm losing my time. That's a foul the, the, the right there. That's a foul. The invisible bush. You've got El Guapo, who you have to oh, deal El with. Guapo. You've got the sewing competition at the very end. I love the sombreros. I've never seen it, guys. So Would you say we have so a plethora so of piñatas? <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to give him an extra point because I talked. No, he wouldn't have gotten one anyway. Ten. Ooh. Ten. Ooh. No. Ten, all right, well, we'll all retire now. Yeah, I'm that done. Christian. I won't. Nice. And I won't even try. Boom. Well, three amigos. Mic drop. Oh, three amigos. Oh, I'm actually going to pick everything so I pick from good. now on has three in it, so I immediately get three things. My little buttercup. All right. Three Next three up guapo. is Mr. Hoos. Great. I love uh, I love the energy, Bob. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> I Bring feel it. very similar, so this is great. All right, here we go. You're granted the use of one iconic movie or TV show car for a year. Which do you pick no. and why? Well, okay, it's got to be the Flintstones Flintmobile. Oh. Yeah, I know, but you got to think. Look at all the exercise you're going to get when you're when you're actually driving around town. Uh, look at all the looks you're going to get. People appreciate Flintstones. Uh, look at uh, look at how air conditioned it is naturally. <laughs> look at how going downhill you're going to save a lot of gas because mm. you don't use any. Uh, look at uh, look at um, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> that was that was a terrible answer. No, to be fair, because well, look, I thought well, it was great. I mean, this it is was, the thing you don't get to that was the first thing that came to you mind. You don't get to critique his answer. No, because you're you're actually it, it seems like it would be just so much easier than I walking. I thought you were going to choose a James or, Bond car. Walking part. would be so much oh, easier. Oh, a James Bond. Let me do that again. James Bond car. <laughs> I really did. That's what I thought you were going to choose. Yeah. Aston Martin. Well, yeah. No, but I mean, you know, DBA. again, that's the that's the thing about this list it's game. Stressful. Your, your brain goes and then you just start throwing out. Uh, I know. I just always think whenever I watch the Flintstones, I think, man, that's a huge car because those wheels are made of stone. You're pushing a lot of think weight. Think about how strong his legs are. Yeah, your thighs right. would be. Crushing. All right. All right. Who's next? All right. You were in line with climate change. <laughs> Bob, you did get six points for that. That oh, was yes. a really and good answer. Change would have been a good one, huh? Right. Yes. There you go. Thank you. All right. Kristen, you are up next. You got this, girl. Hey, Kristen. Your question Yay. is, a production company contacts you about making a movie on your life. Who should they cast to play you and why? <laughs> okay. All right, this isn't really going to make any sense, but I would like Rachel McAdams because she starred in Mean Girls, and I've always wanted to be on Mean Girls. Not because I necessarily see myself as a mean girl. I totally can be, but um, Ask Paul. because she's pretty. I'd like to be as pretty as her, and she's very funny and classy. I am not. That's not That's not up there, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like she would just do so well with like being mean to multiple siblings, and I'm the oldest of seven, and you have to stand your ground. Nice. Well, I tied you with Bob there. Six points. Okay. Mm. Yes, indeed. So 11 is my target? Yeah. Yeah. Adam, your question is, you get to spend one day living out a board game. Which one suits your fancy? Candyland, Monopoly, Risk, or one of your own choosing? And why that one? Man, that's a tough question. I think I'm losing this week. Um, I think Candyland... Um, for the simple reason that I like candy and I also, well, I like land as well. Um, and it seems like there's climbing and ladders and that shoots and ladders. Gumdrop mountain. Gumdrop. Paul is helping me and I appreciate that. Thank candy you, Candy cane forest. Uh, 
This would have been a better question for Paul. <laughs> I think I got one. It was supposed to be like that. And Paul got two. Isn't like, that amazing? Paul actually won at my question. <laughs> I think that's a great It's actually a great answer because no. when I was a kid, I really thought that that would be fantastic. Well, I was you gonna, should have chosen life. No, I was yeah. going to pick risk, but then I'm like, well, but, you but what do you do died. with that? You yeah, died. then you just die and you're yeah. mad. You're always or you're arms. mad and you die. I mean, whatever. Monopoly, well, you're always in jail. I think jail. Paul's our winner this week. I think Paul is our winner Good this job. week. So, Yay. so we congratulate Good job, him. Paul. Take this only victory this week. Right? <laughs> everybody everybody, clench your teeth and say, Good job, Paul. Yeah. Yay, Paul. Yay, Paul. <laughs> Yay, Paul. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you have enjoyed our pop culture connection this week. And, and more than that, I hope that our discussion of what's happening with Disney and the issue of sexuality and our entertainment culture and also our discussion of Father Stu were things that resonated with you. And we would love to hear from you your thoughts on how your family is navigating these difficult issues in our culture. And you can let us know at Facebook or Instagram or just shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com and we would love to continue this conversation with you. And we would also love to say thank you today for being a part of our Plugged In Show family. So for a gift of any amount, we're going to send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, Parenting Generation Screen, Guiding Your Kids to Be Wise in a Digital World. It's a great book and it deals with so many of the things that, that we talk about here on The Plugged In Show. And you'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation this week. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, thanks again for joining us this week. We hope that you come back next week for another conversation about the realms of entertainment, pop culture, technology, and your family on The Plugged In Show. Mm-hmm.